Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Vikings, come out and play. Cousins throws, pass is caught for the win. Kyle Rudolph and the Vikings are moving on. You are now listening to the Believe in Vikings podcast with B-Mac and Baker. Welcome to Believe in Vikings with B-Mac and Baker. I am your host, Dustin Baker. And I am here with Super Bowl champion Bryant McKinney. What up, my man? What up? I'm here to have a great show tonight. All right. So I want to first, this is our first episode for all of you listening out there in Viking, Viking world. Um, this first episode, we're going to talk about off-season topics that have come up. Um, we're going to go over the offensive line, which is Bryant's specialty. Yep. We're going we're gonna to go over um, the the trade for Yannick Ngakwe. We're going to go over Dalvin Cook's role. We're going to talk about the defense, pretty much everything under the sun. Um, going forward, we'll record at least once per week, and since the season's about to start, we'll be focusing on the team that we just hopefully beat, and then we'll talk about the upcoming matchup. But first, uh, we do have one sponsor thus far, and that is Bet Online AG. Did somebody say playoffs? The NBA, MLB, and NHL are in full swing, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Uh, for instance, uh, the Vikings right now are a plus 160 to win the NFC North. So if you were to drop $100 on that and the Vikings did win the North, then you would win 160 bucks. So take full advantage of sports being back in and get in on all the actions, all of the odds, um, all the future bets and the prop bets that they have on there. Um, and there's always an online casino as well. So head to betonline.ag today. Sign up to receive your uh, welcome bonus on your first deposit. And again, that's Bet Online AG and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right. So, Bryant. Yep. All right. The people are here to hear your analysis. Uh, but first, I think it's necessary. There's going to be some youngsters out there that are listening. I am not a youngster, I am 36. So, I have been a fan of you since you started. Uh, so this is uh, pre- this is quite awesome for me. So I want you to pretend that there is a 14-year-old uh, youngster out there who only knows you from the history books or has seen you on YouTube. Uh, Not history books. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a bad word. <laughs> okay, so pretty much um, Brian McKinney here. I'm from New Jersey. Um, started playing football in high school. Uh, went on to Lackawanna Junior College in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Played two years there. Became a two-time JUCO All-American. Then got a scholarship to go to the University of Miami, where I went on to become two-time All-American, Sports Illustrated Player of the Year, Allen Trophy winner, national champion, and the first-round draft pick to the Minnesota Vikings. Um, seventh overall to the Minnesota Vikings, where I went on to play at the Minnesota Vikings for nine seasons. Uh, became a Pro Bowl player there. 
then got traded, and I ended up going to the Baltimore Ravens. And I played there for two and a half seasons, won the Super Bowl there, and then I finished my career with the Miami Dolphins. So that's 12 years of NFL experience and winning the championship on the Super Bowl, and I mean, winning the Super Bowl on the NFL level, professional level, and on the college level as well, winning the national championship. Okay, that's that. So that should be some experience, right? Don't you think? Oh yeah, I, I think you got Just the credit. You got the credibility for this, um, because folks out there will want to know. Do you know? Uh, can you remember, so to speak, some of the the big players you played with at Miami on that championship? See, I feel like you're like making me feel older because like <laughs> history book. Uh, do you remember? <laughs> um, yeah, actually, I do kind of remember some of the guys I played with. So on my national. Well, actually, I'm not even just going to say the National Championship team. I've had guys like Reggie Wayne and um, Fantana Moss that were my teammates. Um, we had Bubba Franks, um, who ended up in Green Bay for a while. Um, Jeremy Shockey. You had Kellen Winslow. You had um, Andre Johnson, Ed Reed, Sean Taylor, Andrew Roll, um, Willis McGahee, Frank Gore, who's still playing, <laughs> um, Clinton Portis. Um, Jonathan Vilma, uh, Dan Morgan, um, Vince Wolfork. We had a, a bunch of guys. Bernie Carey, who was another offensive lineman. Yeah. And Brent Romberg. Um, yeah, we had a lot of guys, at, actually. Uh, and now that I'm sitting here just thinking about all the different people uh, that played on the team, Philip Buchanan, Mike Romp. Um, yeah, it was it's a great handful of guys who, yeah. you know, I'll say, I mean, that was like a Pro Bowl team, so to speak, that, I mean, you named just from your teammates alone. Right. Um, so I think I think most of the folks out there, the Viking fans that are listening, will know the players that you play with, so we don't need to go through the Vikings players. But who were you particularly close with on the team while you were on the Vikings? When I was on the Vikings, I was there for, like, a while, and I feel like it was different eras almost. Like, because 2002 – was a different era than like the 2009. You know what I mean? Very much. So. Yeah, as so a like, as a fan, I agree. <laughs> right. So like in 2002, 2003, when I was there, I was really close with like Dante Culpepper, Randy Moss, and Michael Bennett, and Corey Chavis, like those guys. But then it was a whole different like regime, you know, around 2008, 2009, and you had like now Jared Allen, Pat Williams, Kevin Williams. Even though Kevin Williams was there with me too in 03. Like Kevin Williams and um, Adrian Peterson is now in the fold, and Chester Taylor and Darren Sharper, like all those guys. So it was two different um, Antoine Winfields, two different type of uh, vibes, kind of like it was just it just I, I watched the transition, and you know what's crazy is being in the league at the beginning in two thousand two and three, there wasn't any social media, and then while I was there. Twitter came, and then as I was leaving, Instagram came. So I was there when Instagram was first starting. Um, so now to see how Instagram plays a big factor now in all the teams, like I, I you know, I follow the Vikings page, mm -hmm. you know, to keep me updated on stuff like that. I was on Instagram then, but the Vikings at the time or any football team weren't. I don't think they were thinking about getting an Instagram. Oh, not at that point, huh? Right. So I can tell you as a fan, um, and this is pretty cool because you're the player, uh, I can tell you as a fan it felt like two different eras too. So I'm curious, right. you don't have to maybe put it on a moment in time, but was there a turning point, so to speak, of when the eras became different? So, I mean, it could have been 
when Adrian Peterson was drafted. It could have been when Childress came in. I will say, I will say kind of around somewhere between year when Childress came in, I think the Childress was there one year without Adrian. So Childress was there 06. I think Adrian came in 07. Yes. So yeah, somewhere around there um, is that's when it kind of changed a little bit. Um, and I think that's because of how things probably were ran. But then it just seemed like, um, I feel like, I'm, I'm not going to lie, maybe because I was younger too, it just seemed like more of an old school setting of just hard nose. You were having legit two-a-days, you know what I mean? And then that was like, that's all I knew. And that's how it was from college to pros. But then when you got around 2000 and was it Mike Tyson? You weren't having two-a-days. You had one practice. Were you doing that with Mike Tyson? Mike Tyson was strictly two a day, two times okay. a day, like hard nose. <laughs> but um, he was—he was supposed to be a players' coach. What the hell? He would give you little breaks here and there, but coming in, you had actual two practices a day. Like when people have training camp now; they say training camp. But back then, we were saying two a days. Like you know, what I mean, it was—it was training camp, but you were saying two a days because you had two legit practices per day. They don't have that no more. They cut that out. And um, I actually was a part of both worlds, and like people would ask, like. Well, how do you think if you never had to have two a days, how do you think I would maybe I would have had a little more mileage on my body? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I also like the fact that I was able to experience both, you know? Yeah. Because I, I can see the difference. Um, and things kind of like lightened up a little bit. Like um, a lot of things back in the early 2000s were more acceptable as far as like hits and just being a little more physical. But then they became more aware of... Um, you know, blows to the head and things like that. So it kind of like lightened things up a little bit. Okay. Yeah, no doubt on that. Um, we've seen it through the game. I always tell this, not really a story, but uh, I got my wife into football hardcore in 2015. So now she uh, watches every single game with me. Um, <laughs> so what I used to, so I still, <clears throat> when there's a big hit and it's in our team, it's usually Harrison Smith. Uh, that's still, that's to me, that's as, as exciting as a touchdown. Um, yeah. But I, I told her that when I was in college, so this is 2004, there was a segment on NFL primetime on Sunday nights called Jacked Up. And it yeah. used to just play the highlights of people getting their heads knocked off by like really, Ed, Ed Reed and stuff. Yeah. And it was like championed and preferred. Uh, so it's to your point on eras, we've transitioned out of that. And I don't have any problem with that. That's the way that it should be to, you know, keep you guys safe. But, uh, it's so unique when I point that out because the game is so different that way. It was. I feel like more guys kind of went for that, you know, wanted to make that um, highlight um, yeah. of jacked up and things like that. So I feel like it probably was a little more aggressive than people did that. But, you know, time changes and, you know, so the rules of things. Yeah. Okay. All right. What about present day? So you named all of those players like Culpepper, Moss, uh, Chavis. Are there dudes right now that you still keep in contact with? Um, that's yeah, that's uh, former teammates. Yeah. I definitely keep in touch with. I seen. I keep in touch with Matt Burke. Okay. Um, believe it or not, I would have never thought that he would be one of the people I keep in touch with. Still, but I actually do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, and you know, it's funny because he was my teammate in Minnesota, and then in you know in Baltimore as well. Yeah. But there was so, a. Matt, uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to cut you off for just a second. I, I don't know if you were aware of this probably, but a lot of us in Minnesota were cheering for that team because both of you were on it. We wanted to see you guys get the ring. So that's, yeah. that's great. You yeah. Know, oh, I'm is, not kidding either. I, I remember vividly telling my uh, mother that night, she's like, so why are you cheering for the Ravens? And I was like, because <laughs> like 40% of the offensive line was the Vikings. 
you know what's funny is after um we played uh the Broncos. Mm -hmm. So after the Broncos we had to go to see to New England. But on the bus, I was coming, we had just got back to Baltimore and Adrian Peterson called me. He was like, Man, I was screaming at the TV and I was yelling at this chair and I was like hoping that you and I was like, I was so like, you know, um like happy that he even called me to even say that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because you gotta remember I was somebody that was somebody me and him were very close too. So for me to leave and, and, he, um, and if that phone call would have been right when he won the MVP award, like within a couple weeks of it, because that was the 2012 season. That's when he carried us, the Vikings, to the uh, playoffs pretty much by himself. So the fact that he, uh, like you talk about how cool it was that a younger guy would reach out to you like that. And he was at right. the peak of his powers. Yeah, he definitely was. But just the fact that he was still paying attention to like what had going on. Somewhere else, I'm not your teammate anymore, but you're still following me and keeping up. And I was like, oh, wow, that's crazy. And um, him giving me that phone call, I remember being on a bus and receiving a call from him. He was just telling me how he was screaming at TV, just cheering and, and was so happy. And I always appreciated it. I, I never forgot that because he, you know, called me when we were on the bus and um, just having that conversation with him. Um, but that was that was really big yeah. for me. Just, yeah. What, because I don't know. I just felt like... Um, I was like his left tackle. I was almost like his bodyguard. You know what I mean? That's you know what I mean. And it's like now I'm leaving to switch jobs and go work for like Ray Rice and Joe Flacco now. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But the fact that he's still like you know, we still were cool. And I feel like I always try to keep good relationships with my my teammates and stuff. And even to this day, we seen each other at the Super Bowl. You know, we took pictures together and we talked and we and we kicked it. And you know, we follow each other on social media, so we still communicate. But that that probably meant a lot. Yeah. To me. And he's another one still playing. We talked about Gore. He, he and Gore right. are the elder statesman. <laughs> He um is definitely somebody who I think he looks at himself as like a little machine, like a robot. Because I remember just me being big. He always wanted to challenge me in the locker room out of everybody. I don't know. Y'all probably don't even know this. But one time, we used to always have these like little brawls with the offensive line and the running backs. And like, <laughs> we would just catch them, like, you know, play fighting. We'd catch them outside of like a team meeting or something. And then we would like fake jump them, stuff like that. And he would always come after me. Really? Like, I said, I must be like the last person on, you know, the video game that you got to defeat. Yeah. So you want to keep challenging me every time. And um, y'all probably don't notice, but one time we we did that. We had like the little scuffle with the O-line and Tahi bumped heads with somebody and his eyes went up and he couldn't put his helmet on. And he couldn't play in the game. I don't know what excuse they gave oh, really? to, to everybody else, but they didn't say how it really happened oh man so he ended up having to like not play so they put him on like well, what's the list when you're not playing like yeah. inactive mm -hmm. Injury but it was like the day it might have been like on a friday or saturday i forget when it happened but it was like he bent over to go do something he and somebody else like i, I want to say him ap had somebody him and somebody else like he hit but tahi's thing swelled up and um it was like swelling wouldn't go down i couldn't put the helmet on really? And yeah, so we had to cut all that and out. And let's see, so was Childress the coach then? Of yeah. course. <laughs> so you already know. It was like, you know, you got like kids, you like in trouble for something like, oh my God, who's going to tell? Where? Like, how do you break this story that just starting fullback, eye is swollen because him and somebody hit bunny by mistake and because you're horse playing. Yeah. Like, you know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I can just I can just imagine trying to come up with a story. Maybe that's... It's like, who's going to break yeah. you? Yeah, I ain't going to tell him. Well, I wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't me that did it.
Bro, yeah, I didn't poop anybody. <laughs> hey, one thing that came to mind before I forget, I got to write some of these down as we go. So in that Super Bowl game, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Randy Moss was on the 49ers, correct? Did you he get was. to uh, touch base with him in that game? I did. I talked to him, and, I, and you know, I even thought about it. I was like, Dad, you know, he's he's been playing, like, a lot longer than me. And I don't think he hasn't won a Super Bowl, no, right? he didn't. <clears throat> he, was, he was there right. twice with once with the Patriots and then once in a reduced role, respectfully. Hey, okay, I... so I'm right. So I remember thinking at myself, like, Dad, he, you know, he hasn't had a chance to win. I said, this is my left season. <laughs> it's my first time here. And I was like, Dad, I kind of like, if we were to lose, I wouldn't be too mad because that would have gave him the opportunity, but I didn't want to lose. Yeah. So... You know what I mean? Like, you know, I don't know. But, yeah, I definitely talked to him a little bit. He's somebody that's actually still cool. I'm still cool with, too. Like, he had a, an event down here for his um, – uh, during Super Bowl, and he invited me. It was, like, a dinner party. And I went. And, like, he, he – and even in Minnesota, when Super Bowl was in Minnesota, he had, like, an, a private event, um, I think, leading up to his uh, Hall of Fame. And he invited me to that too. Like, and I showed up. But like, he always reaches out and like we still like communicate and connect. We follow each other on social media as well. So he um he was doing like a lot of like these workout things at first for a minute. Okay. And then he seen that he did a Spartan race. He was like, You need to come out and do this, you know, these workouts with me too. And I was like, I don't I like to work out, but I don't like running places where like you know like people like I don't like to run around like the neighborhood and stuff like that. If I'm gonna be running somewhere, it's like somewhere where I can pick my stuff up when I'm finished running and just go to the car. Like I don't like running around the neighborhood because I gotta keep running back. I like to, if I want to stop, yeah. I can just get off the treadmill or whatever and just go. Uh, one one last thing <laughs> on that Super Bowl that you were a champion. That was Moss's final game. Oh, that was yep. the final game. He, yep. He uh, before I I had to look in my I had to think in my head. Uh, he played briefly with the Titans and then went on to the Niners, and that was the, the last professional game of his career. So, look oh, what wow. you did. <laughs> well, I didn't no, know I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Wow. All right, before we move on to me, I want to ask you, um, so you never crossed past the Denny Green? No, Denny Green was uh, before yep, that. He, well, I, I knew that he was, but I wasn't sure if maybe you'd ever met him or anything. I don't recall. Okay, meeting cool. Him. And then you had, let's see, probably – Coach Tice was my favorite coach. <laughs> you have about uh, four or five years of Tice. <laughs> yeah, well, he's an offensive yeah. line guy. I think that uh, – He yeah. is. He actually taught me some things. Like, um, he had me come sit in the meeting room with him one time. He was like, here, just do this. It makes your job a lot easier. Like, I understand. Like, I had O-line coaches, but he started at a certain point, like, saying, come sit here and watch this film with me. And he started kind of a lot of coaching me, like, somewhere in 05. And I started doing what he said. He was like, hey. If I'm the one telling you to do this like this, do it like this, who's going to yell at you? And I'm like, all right. Because I already knew how, like, my position coach were like, well, I told you that it is. Like, listen, <laughs> it, it's kind of hard. You got the head coach telling me do it one way, and you're saying this, but I did it the way he did it. I think he probably eventually had a you know, talk with him. I actually had a really good season in 2005. Okay. All right. So – Everybody, that's Bryant McKinney in a nutshell. Um, I'm going to get into a brief part of my biography. Um, some of you or the folks that are listening probably know me from Twitter, and I will touch on that. Um, so, yes, I am Dustin Baker. I'm 36 years old. Um, I have been a Viking fan since 1996. Um, 
I was living in Houston, Texas for about three years. And then we got the word that we'd be moving to Minneapolis. And so uh, Warren Moon was on the Vikings and I latched onto them. And it was a very good time to do it uh, because Moss would join the team two years later. And that was arguably one of the most exciting times in all of Vikings football. So I got hooked and I have absolutely never wavered on my Vikings fandom since. And that's probably why I'm on a podcast with Brian McKinney. Um, <laughs> so let's see here. Um, I'm a season ticket holder. Um, my wife surprised me with Vikings tickets in uh, 2015. Um, I had just met her <clears throat> about six months before, and the Vikings season was going to start. The, uh, they were going to take on the 49ers in week one, and we had cut the cord with our cable. Uh, we were just doing Netflix, and I got a digital antenna, and I went to put on the game, and it wouldn't come in. And I told her, all right, well, I'm going to have to head over to my mom's house or my friend's house or something because I got to watch the game. And she was like, you have to leave to go watch the football game? And I was like, yes, that's this is Vikings football. It's a big deal. And so in that brief moment, I guess, I guess she learned that the Vikings were my thing. And at that time, U.S. Bank Stadium was being constructed, and she had heard that season tickets were on sale. So she looked into it. And uh, she surprised me with Viking season tickets, and we've been going to season tickets or to the Vikings game ever since. So, needless to say, I married her about a year and a half later, uh, because that's that's what you don't you don't <laughs> like to go go away. Uh, right. So I'll flash forward a little bit. Um, I got into the Vikings Twitter stuff. So I've always used Twitter, always, like the last five years for news and such, but I never really used it to tweet on my own. Like if I heard something was going on in the world, I'd go check Twitter because that's maybe not the most reliable at all times, but it's usually the most fast source for news. Um, and I, I wanted to jump into the Vikings Twitter, so to speak, in about 2018, but uh, some of the stuff that I saw in there was bizarre. Like we had just signed Cousins and people were mad about that. And then we had a... Uh, quarterback who some of you will know named Kyle Sloter, and he played very well in the preseason, and folks on Twitter thought that he should play rather than Cousins, so I determined that this crowd isn't for me because I just thought that was such an irrational judgment, um, so I stayed away from the Vikings Twitter for a while, and then this past season, I started to explore it again, and a little backstory on that, I've always loved statistics and numbers since I was like five years old. Uh, my mother bought me baseball almanacs on an annual basis, and I just researched how those numbers came together and what they meant, and so for about 30 years, I've been a numbers guy. Uh, so I've always been able to use the internet to find statistics, and I started to tweet those out, uh, I would say in December, just for no good reason, uh, just to share some knowledge, and I asked a guy named Ted Glover, who's a Vikings fan, he wrote for the Vikings, I asked him he would, if he would retweet one of my things, because I think I, I think I have something good to say here, and he did that, and that's when I started to take off in terms of Twitter, um, and then just over time... I think I started to build a name for myself a bit. Then, right when the pandemic hit, it was like a Wednesday night, I believe. Like Tom Hanks was diagnosed with the virus. Uh, the president shut down travel, sort of, from Europe. The NBA got canceled, and this was all in like 20 minutes. Um, it was a crazy day, as most of you all remember. Um, the day after, I lost my job, and... Uh, that put me at home with my two kids just to do daycare. Um, my wife was working from home. 
So I would just apply for jobs during the morning online and try to feel the, the ground of the new world. Like, you know, could I work from home from these places or what I was going to do? And then in the afternoon, I would just tweet Viking stats. And uh, lo and behold, that landed me a writing gig with the Viking Age and Vikings Territory. And now I write on a national level for fan-sided the mothership there. And lo and behold, about, what, six weeks ago, uh, Believe Podcast reached out to me and said, would you want to do a show with Bryant McKinney? And I thought it was, a, like, a hoax at first. I was like, <laughs> where do I sign, you know? And uh, so, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool for me because all of this happened by happy accident. I did not say I'm going to be a, a big-time player in the Vikings community. I just – it was all serendipity, and it was super cool. So that's me in a nutshell. All right, so I figured uh, for tonight uh, we're going to start off with the offensive line of the Minnesota Vikings, um, talk about what we can expect from them in 2020. Um, if you are kind of sort of a Vikings fan, um, I can tell you that the offensive line for the Vikings has not been good, good since 2009. <laughs> um, we've got youth. 2009? Yes, yeah. I was that's there. What, well, that's a compliment. This is the first compliment I've given. Right. Uh, I'm not uh, using the words history anymore. No, seriously. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Seri well, I mean, AP made it look pretty darn good in 2012, but um, of course, there, people have had great games, and there's been stretches to seasons where the Vikings' offensive lines look good. But as Vikings fans, we've got used to being the, the, the offensive line in this last decade. If it doesn't suck – then we think it's pretty decent. Um, I'm hoping with Gary Kubiak now in charge that uh, since he has a history of cultivating offensive lines, that it will be a new normal to think of them as good rather than not crappy. Um, right. So here we are now with the, from left to right, what the offensive line will look like. Um, the left tackle will be Riley Reef. we think. There, we had some, I don't know if I, I wouldn't call it controversy, but there was some turmoil two days ago when he was either going to be released or take a pay cut. And it sounds like he's taking a pay cut. So, um, so go ahead. you want to, you want to talk about that real quick? Cause you know, I had a situation. That's how I got released oh. is not agreeing to take the pay. Oh, cut. really? I, um, I didn't know that. Or I don't remember that. Yeah. A lot of people, I guess maybe don't know that. So in 2011, um, I came back to training camp and, they were like, oh, you're a little heavy, this and other. Like, hello, training camp is for I lose weight. But anyway. Who, who told you that? Like, who told you that? Who, who said, hey, you're a little heavy? I want to know what, what what guy said it. Oh, no, one of the coaches said it. I, I, yeah, that's um, what I mean. Whoever. I guess you don't have to reveal his name if you don't want to, but I thought maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so um, they later on were like, well, can we uh, restructure your contract? And I'm like, no. And um, – they were like, no, but just to be able to make your same money, just you have going to have um, incentives. And I was like, no. <laughs> and um, that was that was like kind of me. I was kind of thinking to myself, like, listen, if you haven't had a fresh start, you've been here your whole career, you want to take a chance to go somewhere else, this is the time where you just don't agree um, to do a contract, you know, to, to settle for it. So um, they came to me again, and they were like, you know, we, you, you know, trying to explain to me, you can still make everything that's in your contract, but we just want to restructure it. And I was like, no. And I think my mom played a big influence. Well, I don't think she played a big influence, and I think the coaching staff 
was kind of aware of it, but I feel in that in that point in my life, I was maturing and, and pretty much grown. They called her. The Vikings did? They did, yes. <laughs> they called my mom and nope. they- I wish they'd call my mom. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, who called their mom? Who, whose job called their mom on them? <laughs> but, but anyway, so they attempted to reach out to her and kind of, I guess, let her know, you know, what was going on in the situation. I guess to see if she can influence me to change my mind. But what's crazy is my mom was on a cruise, so she couldn't get any service. So she, she got a message, but she couldn't call anybody. She couldn't, you know what I mean? She yeah. couldn't, they, she couldn't be contacted. So when she came back from the cruise, she re, she heard the messages and everything. By, by then I was released. So they came back to my room. So this is um, Rick Spillman. And I want to say Leslie Fla Frazier was the, the coach at the time. Um, they came to, you know, stayed in the dorms. That's when we stayed down. Um, where's that at? Down like an hour away Mankato. from Eden, Eden Prairie. Yeah, yep. Mankato. We were in Mankato and um, they came to my room. This is after I said no a couple times. And they were like, listen, we don't want to get rid of you. We just want to restructure your contract, but we need you to agree to it. Because if you don't, we're going to have to get rid of you. I'm like, well, that's fine. Um, really? You just have to release me then. And they're like, no, this, we don't want to. We just want you to agree to this. And I'm like, I don't want to agree to it. Can I, was this like a, a spokesperson for the Vikings, or was this like Rick Spielman? In, at my door, it was actually Rick Spielman and Leslie Frazier. Like, oh, at my door. I'm talking about I didn't realize that this was the the leadership. I th I didn't. I, to be frank, I know a lot about football, but I don't know about the inner workings, like with contracts and. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. I don't know how yeah. agents and all that pull and all that. So it was quite frankly, literally the two. I was at training camp, so they could see me. You know, we were right there, and it it had been said a couple times. Um, you know, and then I kept saying no. And, um, you know, they reached out to my agent as okay. well, but they were seeing me. So they, you know, mentioned it. And then they came to my room. I remember when they came to my room, they came to my room and they were like, listen, we just want to explain this to you. And that's when they told me they called my mom. Said, we called your mom, we couldn't get in touch with her. And it's like, come on. But then um, they're like, that's when they were like, went to further explain, like, you can still make everything. We just want to restructure things. And I was like, no. And, I, and the only reason why I really said no is so like, okay, I've been here a whole career, and I was like, maybe my intro here wasn't the best, so maybe I should go somewhere else and get a free, you know, like, a free start, like, you know, a fresh start. Because I always looked at it here, like, was my intro here the best? No, I held up for 98 days. Um, the people really care for that? Probably not. So, you know, it was like, let me just go somewhere else probably at this point and try to get, like, a little fresh start. So by me saying, no, I don't want to do that, um, they definitely said, okay, well, we're going to really release you. And, I, and they did. Okay. And just with that, with that happening, um, it opened it up for other teams. So like, I remember the Colts were one of the teams. Um, but I remember like, as soon as I got back to Florida, um, a player reached out to me and was like, Ray Lewis wants your phone number. And I'm like, that's fine. And then Ray called me and was like, oh, okay, you coming here to set another. And I'm like, wait a minute, I got to look. Yeah, you know, see where I fit in, like you know what I'm saying. I'm like, Brady, don't y'all got a left tackle? There's that whole movie about him. <laughs> oh, he doesn't mind moving over. I'm like, listen, you better make sure with him first. I'm not trying to come in here and then there's an issue between me and him because I'm coming to play left tackle. There's a whole movie called Blindside about him, and he wants to move over. That he doesn't mind. I'm like, okay. So then, Ray's like, talk to your agent. I'm like, all right, I will. I'll mention. I mentioned to my agent. 
My agent mentioned me to other teams. Then Ed Reed called. Me and Ed Reed were, you know, teammates in college. We won the national championship together. So they got a hall. Like they got that. like a Hall of Fame hotline blowing your phone up. They're blowing me up. So did you know Ed Reed before he called? Or excuse me, did you know Ray Lewis before he called you? I knew Ray, but I didn't know Ray like okay. that. I, me and Ed okay. are close. I didn't know Ray like I probably seen Ray a couple times, but we weren't. We didn't have. We went by us both going to Miami. It's like, I'm going to listen. Like, you know what I'm saying? But I didn't know him as nowhere near as well as I knew Ed okay. Reed. Um, Ed Reed probably called like a day or two later and was like, come on, you need to come back here. We're going to do this thing. Ray Ray Lewis was like, get him just a piece of the puzzle. Da, da, da. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I feel like Ray Lewis is like um, a prophet because like a lot of things that he said, it came true. Yeah. He was like, I need you here because you're going to help me get the Super Bowl and I'm going to retire on the Super Bowl. Like, he said all these things, like, while I'm on the phone, like, what are you talking about? Like, even though I'm looking to go to a team that's going to make the playoffs, thing like that. But not only did he say that, but even the year when my first year there, we went to the, the AFC Championship and we lost to um, the Patriots. In the locker room, he was like, uh, don't hold your heads low. He was supposed to retire that year. Don't hold your heads low. We'll be back in the same position next year. Being up like, listen, I don't know what's the odds of us being back here next year. Yeah. <laughs> at the <NFC> Championship. <laughs> but after we beat um, Denver, who's the number one seed, we found ourselves back there. So I was like, dang, he's like a prophet. Like, he really he, he speaks things into, like, existence. But, yeah, so basically that's how I ended up getting um, traded. Because they always be trying to say, like, wait, and this, that, and other. And it's like, I'm glad when I got to Baltimore, they stopped looking at my weight and they started looking at my like um my body fat. So they were so quick to say like weight scales, numbers, this and other. It's like first of all, when I came in here at 22 years old, I was y'all would make me weigh in at 348. You know what I'm saying? Not 350. I don't know why, but 348. Okay. Um, I am now like over 30. If you don't think I'm going to gain like 10 pounds from by then. So now I'm like 360 and it's like, he's happy. This is like, hello. But I've been slowly, like y'all been trying to force me at this weight. And the bad thing about that is, I know we're getting way off subject. No, right. But the bad thing about it is a lot of guys do things like take laxatives, go to steam room. They dehydrate themselves just to make weight. And then you have to go back and try to put it back on. It's like, how effective do you think the person is? You should really start checking people's body fats. And I, when I got to Baltimore, because they were seeing, like, how my weight can go up and down just because I could eat something, and it may have high sodium, and that's just my body type. It will retain a lot of water, but then I go out on the field, I drop the seven, eight pounds, just sweat it back out. Like, you know what I mean? It's just people have different body types, and I'm one of those people who can retain seven pounds of fluid and go out there and sweat it off, and it can just drop right off. And then you're like, oh, okay, well, how did you do that? And it's like, you don't have the same body type as me, so you won't understand. But I know that this is, this happens at times. So um, that's what I, I feel like uh, people should kind of focus on is body the body fat. fat. So when I got to Baltimore, they kind of focused more on where my body fat was, my body fat percentage. Okay. I see. I've got a question that came to mind. Um, when you were talking about uh, uh, Ray Lewis was telling you, like, oh, we're going to be back here. Uh, next year like you know as a matter of fact one thing I've always wondered as a fan is so when the when we fans are in the stadium or at home and if let's just use the Vikings if they lose a, a big game it's it's pretty devastating for us you know it'll ruin our night 
Um, it's just, you know, think about it way too much. I've always wondered what percentage of players lose a big game like that and are like, well, I got $3 million in the bank. I, I don't really care. I mean, are there guys that – I know obviously everybody wants to win, but are – have you met players that are just kind of like ho hum about? Eh, oh well, we lost. Um, I just really, depend, I really think it depends on the team that you're on and like what era it was with a certain team. Because I feel like some people win if your team hasn't been winning, they losing becomes norm. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Um, so like even for me when I first got to the Vikings, you got to remember I came from college and. My junior year, my only last game I lost was my second game of my junior year, and I hadn't lost the game. So my first time losing as a pro, I was low-key ready to cry. Like, I hadn't had this feeling in a long yeah. time. You know what I mean? And I realized that on the plane, other people were just, like, kind of bad, you know. All right, so they are like, yeah, like, we lost the game. We'll see the film and see the mistakes tomorrow. But I was on the plane pissed, like, I can't believe it. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And <laughs> everybody's kind of like, the game was over, and there's really nothing you can do to bring it back. And all you can do is wait till the next day and look at your mistakes and try to correct your mistakes. So my attitude might have been a little different <laughs> when I first got in the okay. league. But do I ever see anybody just feel like, oh, no, I got paid? No, I don't feel like that. Because um, at the end of the day, you always have to go back and watch the film as a group and nobody wants to be crawled out and embarrassed like because they're making a bunch of okay, mistakes. So, so that is a big deal. The film room, the... Okay. It is because it's still your pride. Okay. Like you don't want to go and be the person being caught out and it's like, oh, like, you know, and then, you know, your teammates is going to joke and say little things. You don't want to be that person. All right. Well, thanks for clearing that up. All right. So let's go through the mm-hmm. offensive line personnel. We have Riley Reef at left tackle. Um, yeah. Left guard, uh, we think it'll be Dakota Dozier, who actually played one-third of all offensive snaps last year, so he's got a little experience. Or it could be um, Aviante Collins. Um, he's played 77 snaps in three years, so uh, that one uh, not terribly experienced. Um, at center is Garrett Bradbury. He was our first-round draft pick last year. Um, this one is interesting. Pat Elfline was moved to right guard from left guard. Um, and he'll, we think, we'll start there uh, this season. We don't get a depth chart for about another week, I believe. And then at right tackle, it's Brian O'Neill, um, who most of us think is a, a budding star, and we'll probably have to pay him um, a boatload pretty darn soon. So I know that I know that you personally live in Florida, so you don't have a lot of access to Vikings film tape. <laughs> But that group of guys with Gary Kubiak as the offensive coordinator and Rick Dennison as um, offensive line coach, what does that offensive line say to you? Is that something we can work with, or is that still pretty deficient? Um, I feel like it's something that you can probably work with. Okay. You just have to – it's the guys really at this point, just like I said earlier about pride, just they have to kind of – want to come together and, and really try to just focus in on being better. I'm not sure what, how or what they're being coached, but, um, you know, at a certain point, I got to take their own initiatives. You know what I mean? Um, I felt like even when I was there and we had somebody like Phil Loho come in, you had, you know, us kind of like competing with each other to get higher grades. I used to do that with um, 
Rosenthal, who was yep. in there, like different people. I was like, well, I'm going to try to go out and get a better grade than him. Yeah. You know what I mean? I have to find and use little things to keep me, you know, make me motivated to, even though we're on the same team, I'm still trying to compete against you too. Like I, I want to grade, I want to grade higher than you, you know? So I, that's what I did as, you know, for a form of motivation. And I mean, maybe they should do that with each other okay. too. Um, the other uh, question I think we can use your expertise. Um, this draft, uh, we used a second-round pick on Ezra Cleveland. He comes from Boise State University, and that's the same university as Alexander Madison, who is our RB2. Um, so some people thought he would perhaps start right away in some capacity. Um, I've always been skittish because I know it just depends on the player, um, whether or not they're going to start in year one or just, uh, be a project. Um, for a while there, a couple days, the theory was that if, if Riley Reef left, then perhaps Cleveland would p play like a guard position. So in your experience, how interchangeable would it be to go from a tackle to a guard or from right to left, um, we as fans are like, well, yeah, why don't you just move so-and-so to left guard? That'll work. Yeah. Does it work that way? Uh, no. It's, it's, a whole, it's a whole different mindset. And then especially going from tackle to guard, tackle, you have a, like a lot more space. The only time you even have somebody next to you unless the tight end is on the outside of you, you know what I mean? But And they're releasing most of the time. With a guard, you're like always kind of – Guards and centers are always jammed in between, like, two people. You know, it's, it's less space. So that's why guards and centers don't really have to have the best feet. Tackles normally do because they're going to get stretched up the field and, like, you know, on an island. Um, going from left to right is also can be difficult, too, because, I mean, I was a right-handed person, but my whole career I played in the left tackle, so I got accustomed to being in a left-handed stance. But to be honest, even though I'm naturally right-handed, I tried a couple of times, like, playing around, like, let me try this right. It just feels awkward yeah. because that's not something I've practiced. So I am more comfortable, you know, playing left. So even just getting in a right-handed stance, it's like I can do it. But what I feel is comfortable probably after a bunch of reps. So even if somebody is moving around, you can't expect them to – wherever they're comfortable at, whether side they're comfortable with, they're going to play better there. But then they will get a rhythm soon. You have you have to allow them progression to get a rhythm and get a feel for being somewhere. But also, what they always told us when I was in the um, in the league was, the more you can do, the more valuable you are. So if you're able to move those positions along the offensive line, that's you're the more you're the most valuable person. So that's from the, um, the right to the left on the on, uh, being a tackle, right? What about what if, yeah, what if are, let's say I don't know 2010. Um, I guess at that point it would have been Childress or somebody that would have said, if they would have said, "Hey, we're going to move you to left guard," would you have been excuse me, or would, would could you have done that? Well, me, yeah. I'm so tall. Like, <laughs> That's a good I, point. You want to put me in the middle? Yeah. Like Brett or whoever was back there, then they would. It, it would be like a lot for me being six eight, being see it tackles because we're like a little further out. But guards and centers are like kind of right there. Yeah, that would be a little challenging. <laughs> and then what about you? Won't have experience with this per se, but maybe just because you're in the room. 
What about a, a guard that's going up against a nose tackle versus like a three technique pass rusher? What's the difference there? If if you do know, um, a three technique in the nose. I feel like a three technique normally is a wide. And I know this because I play tackle, so the three technique is always basically on my inside. So a three technique normally is trying to get away from the guard to create space. And they know that's what guards don't like is space. Guards like to be short-stepping and, and be on you right away. So they get in a wide three to make the guard have to move their feet. Guards may not always move their feet the best. And the three technique is probably a little more athletic. So they want to create space between them and the guard, hoping that a tackle like me isn't like going to give them an arm, you know, um, as an assistance or anything. But yeah, so that's different. But when you have a nose tackle, you kind of jump like a center or a guard. You kind of jump on them and get your hands on them faster than a wide three. Wide three, you have to be very careful because they have more space to either rush up the field or come back inside and, and do more moves. Okay. Let's see. So on the coaching aspect, um, with that group of guys, obviously it's not dripping with talent. Um, how much of a difference does a good offensive line coach make versus – a average coach having a bunch of good players. Is it better to have a great offensive line coach with a motley crew worth of dudes, or is it better to have a average coach with a great bunch of players, uh, offensive line wise? I think a great coach, okay. if he can translate exactly what it is he wants them to do and, and teach them great technique, he'll develop them into becoming the players he wants them to be. So I feel like having that is always better. Um, Cause they'll be able to learn like having guys who are just kind of out there basically just doing their thing off their talent. Um, they're going to be only, but so good until they get into a situation and then their coach can't really coach them well enough to get them out of like a bad situation. Like being good can get you, but so far, but you're going to have times and days where you can look like, okay, coach, what was I supposed to do there? Like, you know what I mean? You're not going to have a perfect, you know, season. So sometimes you're going to look at your coach, like, and if your coach can't help you, it's like, so I would rather have a coach that's uh, really good and can, you know, translate to me what it is I need to do to make me better than for me to just be like really talented. But then you can have a lot of talent, but if you don't know how to use yeah. it. Then... Yeah. That's what, that's <laughs> why I put faith in, I guess that's why I'm excited or cautiously optimistic about the offensive line for this season. It's only about a week and a half away now is that um, mm. the numbers Gary Kubiak has documented history of making offensive lines work, um, whether it's sacks allowed or whether it's rushing yards. Uh, if you pull his numbers routinely, they're in the top tens of each of those categories. So I've had people on Twitter ask me, you know, are you nervous about the offensive line? And I've thought, well, maybe based on sheer talent, yeah, but I think if you have a coach, a coaching staff that knows how to nurture it, then I think we're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. So that's why. I, I don't – I'm and not worried also, about this offensive line. Go ahead. Also, I feel like, too, coaching, but also the coaching staff and the offensive coordinator, knowing, being aware of the players you have. So when you have, like, game time like situations when you're up against certain people, you're calling certain plays that's going to, like, help that offensive line. Like, one person may have a, a great defensive end or tackle that week. So you, play, you call some plays that's going to kind of help that situation. Like, you can't – call a bunch that's going to save them, but that'll put them in better situations too where they can like play little mind games and stuff like that with the, with the D tackle, the DN, stuff like that. Like just have a good play caller. That is um, very insightful because 
I don't think everybody knows that. I think um, us sitting on our couches or going to the games, we think that, oh, well, Dalvin Cook, you know, he's spectacular. So we're going to call a play that gets him, you know, out in space here. Um, I don't think that a lot of our listeners are going to know that there are times where you call a play to accommodate an offensive lineman strength for weakness. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You call a play like you. There's been times where somebody there might have been a good tackle, uh, a defensive tackle there, and we'll call a play where I'm crushing down on that tackle to take some pressure off of the guard, like you know, just doing different things. Because now, once you do that, that makes that tackle like be alert on the to keep watching me now to make sure he's not crushing down, so it slows him down. So you have to do some things to slow some of these people down. So whoever the big person is. You do game plan sometimes to go at them. You okay. depend on the scenario to go at them, to do things to slow them down, to make them hesitate, things like that, to help you off yeah. the line. When, when, uh, when the average fans, um, you know, like myself in this circumstance, when we think of play calling, we're thinking wide receivers, running backs, tight ends, quarterback. Um, Oh, see, we're we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get, I, I, I should rethink that uh, frame of thought. All right, well, believe it or not, we don't have too much time left, so I want to make sure we talk about the trade that happened Sunday Sunday morning. I was actually uh, I wrote an article uh, for the Vikings Age, and then I fell asleep on my couch, and I woke up at about five a.m. and I couldn't get back to sleep. And then uh, I got news on my phone that uh, the Vikings had traded for Yannick Ngakwe. And um, I I studied the Vikings way too much, and I didn't know that we were in the business for a defensive end. Uh, we have Daniil Hunter, who's otherworldly. And then um, last season, Afadio Denbo, who I actually met in person um, this, this last year, um, he had seven sacks, and that was in, like, playing one-third of the time last year. So it feels like he's creeping on a come-up, and we just all assumed that he would be starting. Um, I don't know what the plan is now, if it's possible to move him inside, even though he's not necessarily uh, bulky like a three-technique guy would be. Um, but we now have a new defensive end, and it gives us a ferocious tandem in Hunter and uh, Unique. It really does. And I feel like the Vikings really made that push to go after him once Everson made it clear that he wasn't going to be returning back to the Vikings. Um, Unique also made it clear to the Jaguars that he did not want to play in the franchise tag. So that kind of gave him a little leverage. And then the Vikings realized, I guess, we don't have Everson. So let's see, you know, we get another guy that's pretty dominant and get him up here with Hunter. And let's see if we can get him. And I, I realized they gave up, I think, a second round and a fifth round pick for him. And, um, you know, so we'll see how this goes. Okay. Um, one thing on, let's see, what was I going to, oh yeah, I was going to ask you. So uh, you played what, how many years altogether? Was it 12? 12. Okay. Um, off the top of your head, can you name the three most difficult or pain in the ass defensive ends that you win against? Um, well, number one, I'm always going to say is KGB from Green okay. Bay. And I say that because my first maybe two, two, about two to three years with him, it was like, oh my gosh, like his hands, like he wasn't like a run stopper. He was a pass, he was a pass rusher. So with him, it was like, that's when I learned the difference from, you know, you try to overpower people with your size. Like in college, I could overpower people like, you know, a lot. But there it was like hand pacements and stuff like that. 
So actually, by playing against him twice a year was learning from him. And he even would tell me like sometimes like, "Good game, you're getting better." Like he he was he could see the progression from you know my rookie year as you know yeah. And then I feel like it got to a point where now it was like, because he used to give me trouble. I'm gonna say the first two maybe three years. My fourth year, not so much anymore. And I feel like that's when he was like, "Okay, he's here," because it wasn't it wasn't like a a battle like it used to be, you know what I mean? And I used to always, every week with him, like, especially away just because of the crowd noise and me having to use my peripheral vision to look at the ball because I can't turn my head because you yep. know what I mean? So it's like peripheral vision, look at the ball and think of the timing of all these things. So it would be a little more difficult, especially if he got a good jump on the ball. But as I got more experience, it, it started like leveling out and, and became good. But I feel like, he is overall, like all my interviews, I always talk about him the most. He was the main person. There's other guys that I went against, but I'm that person who, if I know you're good, I'm kind of going to play. I, I hate it, but I raise my level based on who I'm playing. If they're good, I'm going to play good. When it should be, <laughs> you play that way all the time, but it's like, the better they are, the better I'm going to play. But there's different guys like Jared Allen, even you know going against him, he was a different style player. When he was with Kansas City, he was more of a bigger, like a more of a run-stopping type of guy. But when he came to Minnesota, he slimmed down and was like kind of – he became a combination of both. So he, when he got to Minnesota, I was glad to work with him because we were on the same team for one. And two, he would ask me questions like, what am I doing? How am I stopping this? And then I would ask him, what is it he sees? What's, he, what's his goals too? So we kind of shared notes with each other. You know what I mean? And he would go against big guys like Orlando Pace, who was similar to my size. And he would always want to know, like, communicate and ask questions. And we kind of shared that thing, you know, knowledge with each other. And, and it helped me out because now I had an understanding of what he's thinking. And it kind of carried over to me to when I got to Baltimore with um, Terrell Suggs a little bit because I had to go against him. But Jarrett was uh, – there are two different styles. And for Terrell to be so big – I would have thought he'd have been a lot more physical, but he's not really as physical. He's more finesse too. But um, I would say Jarrett is probably number two. And then um, Doomerville was actually pretty good. He's pretty low to the ground, a speedy guy, just high motor, just keeps going all the time. So Doomerville was pretty good too. Julius Peppers, I played the first time I played against him, I had a, a jacked up ankle. And um, so he had a good game. But then after I played against him, when he got to Chicago and I was playing against him on a regular, it kind of was like, okay, it was like it balanced out. It was just my initial time playing him. I wasn't 100% healthy. But then I, in my mind, I was like, when I see him again, I know I'm going to be healthy. And now, now I have to, like, get him back. So, like, that was my mindset. Yeah, and if somebody has a good game on me and if I have to play you again, it's like, I won't, I'm going to make yeah, sure you won't you forget it. Uh, yeah. The very last thing I want to touch on, um, when I did my homework on um, Ngankwe right after the trade, I crunched numbers, sacks, um, tackles, and the most comparable player, I don't know if you'll remember him, that I found from the last 30 years to Ngankwe is Leonard Little. Oh, yeah, I remember him from um, yeah, St. Louis. No, did you do you have any? I played Yeah, oh, him. I knew that. I didn't know if you'd remember off the top of your head, like, oh, yeah, he was a. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, you might see this, like, a little bit of gray here, but it'll be dyed on Friday. <laughs> but I think <laughs> you think my mind is like that, too. Yeah, of course, I remember a little. 
and um, <laughs> playing against him in St. Louis. And yeah, he was actually a speed rushing guy yeah. too, um, and, and was really good. You know, in the early 2000s. So yeah, I definitely remember him, and he did have the great numbers. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's what I. Um. I mean, I haven't watched gobs of tape on Leonard Little, but in terms of the numbers, uh, Ngakwe is a high volume. Uh, sack guy first and foremost and a consistent um, sacker of the quarterback and then his signature is strip sacks or forced fumbles and um, okay. when I looked at the numbers um, through the first I think Ngakwe has played what four seasons now and I compared them to hundreds um, I found that Leonard Little kept popping up because of what you said with that ferocious pass rush not necessarily either one of them being bad in run stopping but um, it seems like their M.O. was rushing the passer. Right. And you have certain players who that was their main thing is rushing the passer and get to a yeah. sack. Like, they were they were decent at playing the run, but their whole thing was third and long. Yeah. All right, big man. Well, that's all the time that we have for our very first episode. Um, next Alrighty. next week, um, I think I'll, I'll dice up the schedule, and we'll go through game by game to – kind of figure out what our predictions would be and then I'll I'll carry over uh some of the topics that uh, we had on the agenda for tonight like uh what a Dalvin Cook contract might look like and we will go from there so um everybody thank you for tuning in we'll be back in one week and goal Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.